Hello, welcome to the podcast. I'm Sue Styles, your host, and today I'm very pleased to be bringing with you Graham Alcott. He is the world's productivity trainer. Now, I met Graham when he spoke here in Canada a number of years ago, and Graham, I always recommend your book, The Productivity Ninja. If you're not watching this on my YouTube channel, I do record these interviews uh, live stream, so you can see it, The Productivity Ninja. And let me read this to you, listeners. Using techniques including ruthlessness, mindfulness, zen-like calm, and stealth and camouflage. I mean, if that doesn't get you thinking. So I'm looking forward to talking to Graham about productivity. Graham, what else do we need to know about you before we go on with our questions to get the most out of our chat today? Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to Mind Your Own Business. Parentheses, yes, the title has changed from last year. <laughs> I hope you enjoy the honest business advice and personal stories of mistakes and magic. I'm Sue Styles, your host and business expert, and I am here to share hope and practical and proven tactics to build your business. Hey, all the steps to success and twice the grit. Visit me for business resources, advice, and offers at suestyles.com. And now back to the show. Wow. Thank you for the introduction, first of all. So yeah, I'm probably best known for, for Productivity Ninja. I have a company called Think Productive. So we work in the UK and also in the US and Canada and also in Australia and Western Europe. Um, bringing a lot of this work to predominantly corporate spaces, but also to charities as well. And then outside of work, I'm a big baseball fan, which is a very weird thing for a UK person to be into. We don't really have baseball here. And a huge music fan as well. I love jazz and electronic and funk and stuff like that. And also a single dad is probably worth um, throwing that in because I feel like this is the, the little feminist part of me always wants to say dadpreneur because it's kind of like a, a bit of a joke on the idea of mumpreneur. That's um, right. So yeah, that's me. We do hear a lot about mompreneurs and single moms. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so thank you for mentioning that. I appreciate it. Yeah, it feels like one of those things where I definitely feel like I've learned a lot more about the discrimination that women face as, you know, in bringing up kids and in being a single mom, but not necessarily exclusively as being a single mom. Since I became a single dad, like when we were together, it was just kind of taken for granted that I would just fly off around the world and not think about my kid for three and a half weeks promoting my books and stuff like that. And now it's like, oh, I have to actually like balance these two responsibilities equally. So it makes me more determined for equality on a lot of those things. What great insight. Of course, I was a single mom for many years of four children. So I heart you. I hear where you're coming <laughs> from. And building and maintaining a business while creating balance. Who better to talk to about sure. the insight of a busy world? I was hoping we might start with something that's always stuck with me from when you talked here in Canada. You had done this experiment where every time you had to make a decision, you just rolled the dice. And yeah. I'll tell you, over the years, I've thought of that many times, you know, just the effect like, don't let making a decision give you paralysis by analysis, just make one. And I'll tell you, I'll admit, I have often just flipped a coin and trusted that the right answer would land up. And then I've gone with that decision. So can you share the research from your experiment? Yeah, and tell us sure. that? well, if uh, yeah, here it is, in fact, so this dice, I, I actually keep it right by my desk since I did this experiment. Um, 
which must have been five years ago now or something. But the idea was I did this year of extreme productivity experiments. And the idea was, what can we learn from really extreme situations? Because I think often with productivity, the stuff that really helps to push us and make us better is constraints or scarcity in some way. So I did things like I did a month where I flipped the nine to five. I worked five to nine instead of nine to five. And I did that both morning and evening. I did another one where I got rid of the idea of the Henry Ford, you know, Monday to Friday working week said, I'm going to do an hour a day, but seven days a week and just kind of, you know, see how I can get by with seven hours in a, in a work week. Turns out it wasn't enough. <laughs> I was really stressed. <laughs> so not all of these experiments went well. Um, another experiment was um, to eat the optimum diet for productivity for two weeks. And then I fasted for Ramadan. And so just various different things like that. And the idea with all of them is push yourself to the extreme and then work out what the lessons are that you're going to take back into you know, a regular working week, effectively. And I learned a lot doing those experiments. Um, probably the one that stuck with me the most was also the same one that stuck with you, which was making the decisions by dice. And the idea was to think about procrastination and decision-making and, and really just throw that open. And I learned a couple of really interesting things from doing that. One was, I'd never heard this phrase before ever in my life, but everyone this month was bringing this phrase to me. And it was, you get about a third of your decisions right and a third of your decisions wrong, and a third of your decisions don't matter anyway, <laughs> right? And everyone kept coming back to me with this phrase, which apparently is a Yorkshire, which is like the north of England here. It's a Yorkshire proverb, apparently. And that really stuck with me. It's like, oh, just make a decision. And just basically the idea that any action is better than being, being inactive or stuck with inaction. So the more you get sort of stuck, the more you get in your head, the more you worry about the consequences of stuff, the more you're just delaying and delaying and not actually being productive. So the idea is just, you know, whenever you feel like there's a decision, just make one decision, just go. And even if it's the wrong thing, you can unpick it. And it's easier to unpick something than to just still be stuck. And, you know, the more you get stuck, the, the more stuck you feel and so on. So that was a really interesting lesson from it is just, just start. Any momentum is good, even if it's not on the right track. The other thing that it did, which I really learned a lot from on a slightly sort of deeper level was the idea of once you have to make two or three or six options for something and then just go with that decision, you detach your ego from the decision making. So, so much of where we get stuck is, is our own ego getting in the way and saying, yeah. oh, you know, I'm like, I'm in my head worrying about this particular thing. And once you can just say, well, I got that wrong, but oh, it was the dice. It wasn't me. <laughs> it actually just really opens things up. And I, I really found that very interesting, how much responsibility I was putting on myself for certain things, which were not that important to me, but I was still, you know, feeling guilty if I got something wrong or really invested in something that I didn't need to be. And just that detachment of ego was something that I, I just stumbled across and learned through that experiment. So yeah, that was a good few years ago, but um, as you see, the dice is still there. A lot of those things still really uh, stick with me. And the one that probably had the most effect on me is I thought I was really productive anyway. I'd already written Productivity Ninja. I was drinking the Kool-Aid every day as I do. But when I did the experiment that was work four hours a day instead of seven, I was being even more ruthless with my thinking. I was I was really being much more choosy about what I put my time and attention onto. And I was like, wow, I can actually do 
you know, a really phenomenal amount of work in four hours. And so not that I always work four hours in a day, but I will generally have at least a four hour block of time in the day where I'm completely uninterrupted. Uh, I call it my create time. The diary is defended and unavailable. And yeah, like that for me is a, a big part of my own productivity. I think it's just so insightful to hear someone and the feedback, because how do we know how to work? It's only what we've stumbled upon, you yeah. know, the nerve of you to do an experiment and test, test these theories out. So I, I always did think it was very interesting and it gives a freedom to the rest of us listeners out there. If you're yeah. stuck, do a little experiment, take a page out of Graham's book. Yeah, for sure. I think we, we live so much of our working lives in a kind of autopilot mode, right? And so you don't have to go extreme around experiments because, you know, when I talk about this stuff in keynotes, I quite often say, I'm not saying that you should go to your boss and say next month I'm working four hours instead, instead of a full day. But what you can do is if you always start your day with email, start your day with just a blank pen and paper. If you generally have meetings in the morning, flip them to the afternoons. If you generally, you know, travel into work in this one particular route, travel a different way. You know, just those simple things, I think, just really open the brain up to really more, much more creative ways of thinking because you're just more conscious about the process of the work. And I think the more you can get out of, you know, habits are really helpful when you really need to be heads down doing stuff and you've got good habits. But in order to get better habits you kind of have to unpick stuff and, and you know, almost like start again and be more conscious of the process rather than just conscious of the content. Yes, I'm a fan of habits too. Of course, that's what I talk about all the time, but breaking out of the box to create yeah. or shake it up. Well, I had somebody chat with me on the phone last week and she's getting very busy. So losing that life work balance. And we were talking about, well, you know, if we all have the same amount of hours in a day, how do really busy people manage everything? She's a solopreneur. She has a contract virtual assistant. But other than that, you know, she's pretty much doing everything. So let's talk about some epic organization processes that you share and talk about all the time. Can we start bridging that subject if you're getting sure. busy? What are some things or what's the first thing that we can look at to help our our lives? Sure. Well, the first thing is, let's just go back to real basics. So forget time management. Think instead about attention management. And when we think about busy and overwhelm, then the way to then think about that is that's always a state of mind. It's always a construct. And the best way to make sense of that and start to you know, really get more control is to get all of that stuff out of your head. So just writing everything down, just starting to get everything into a sense of order. Most of the time when I'm working with people, what you find is that what they have is an incomplete list, which is some to-do items and some projects and some people who happen to be kind of weighing on their mind because they're nagging them. And, you know, really, we need to start to take each of those things and break it down into much more of a, an active list of projects and then a really complete master actions list that's like, here's all the things I could do about those projects. And even just that, it's what I call in the book, the second brain, right? So the idea is you put all of that stuff in a second brain because my own memory is terrible. It's a vital tactic for me because my own brain just would not remember stuff. But once you take away your, your mind's need to be the thing that holds on to everything, 
then you free up your brain to be able to be much more creative, to problem solve, to be more strategic. And that's only really possible when you know and trust that the second brain is going to look after delivering the work on time. So that for me is like, if you can get to there, then you don't feel so busy. You don't feel so overwhelmed. You can be totally overloaded, but not feel overwhelmed, which is why I say that busy is a state of mind. Is that what you mean when you're talking about working smarter, not harder? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, w working smarter, not harder. I feel like it's a bit of a cliched phrase. And in all honesty, what happened is, so I have this book where the title of the book now is work smarter, not harder. But actually, when I wrote that book, it was called Introducing Productivity. It's just that it was part of a series and the whole series got rebranded. And that was the title they came up with. And I was like, okay, fine. So it's not really something that apart from it being the title of one of my books, <laughs> I ever really talk about that much. But what I will say is, you know, I think there are ways that you can be very focused on trying to increase the speed of the treadmill rather than getting off the treadmill and working out strategically, how do I change things? You know, and, and for me, a lot of that is, is often about that taking a step back, being your own project manager, which is the hardest time to do that is when you're busy, totally. right? So the thing about working smart, smarter, not harder is it's not even really about the work. It's about thinking smarter, not harder. So for me, it's like, when you feel totally stressed and overloaded, what you most need then is to go for a walk. And for most people, me included, the, the least likely thing that you're going to give yourself permission to do in that moment is to go for a walk. Yeah, that's yeah. so true. Yeah, there's a lovely Buddhist phrase, which is you should meditate for half an hour a day, except when you're busy, then you should meditate for an hour a day. That's how I feel about quality thinking when it comes to work. We need more of that quality thinking the busier we are. And we're most likely to deprioritize it and just work over it and, and, and just kind of discard it. And, you know, this idea of, oh, well, in two weeks time, everything will calm down. I'll do my organization and my thinking then. And it's like, no, now is the time where that's going to be most effective. Yes, I'll tell you, it's been very challenging when I'm working with solopreneurs. And just for example, some of them are real estate agents, which is very busy right now all over North America. Mm, is it right. in the UK as well? I actually was just reading a thing this morning because they've changed the taxes on UK property for a little while and it's kind of frenzied the property market here. Yeah. Like house prices are up like 10% this year and stuff like that. So it's, a, yeah, it's been crazy. an unexpected surge, but mm. many real estate agents and people running their own business, they keep all their to do's in their head. You know, they yeah. know the process, they're the one doing it, they don't have to check in with anyone. And you're talking about overload. They're trying to run on the treadmill faster. You know, they're getting up earlier. They're staying up later rather than having put in a process, a simple checklist maybe yeah. of the same things yeah. that they do every time or have that second brain. And is it an art to learn how to delegate even? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was very influenced with my own business. I was influenced by, there's a book called The E-Myth by yes. Michael Gerber. And I read that very early on. And so that really stuck with me that, you know, basically the idea of the book is you write down the org chart of the 15 roles that you need in your business, even when there's only you. And so you write 15 things and you put your name next to each of them. And then you work out, okay, so which, which of these can I most easily hire somebody, bring someone else in, delegate it to? And you basically kind of work your way through that until you kind of do yourself out of a job, really. 
um, which I've done quite successfully, actually. Like she took a whole year off in 2017 to kind of prove that point to myself and it, and it did work. For me, delegations come quite easily. And I know that for a lot of people that it's a really tricky thing. And I would say that, you know, again, if you're really busy, the idea of sitting down and writing the process about a thing that you just do really habitually and naturally, it just feels like the most annoying thing in the world. But what I would just really implore people listening to this to do is just to take that time, check out of doing the work. And what Michael Gerber says in that book is you've got to work on your business, not in your business. And so, you know, just learning the the mechanics of those processes and actually documenting them, mapping them, it just gets you a long way. And it's boring and it takes a long time and it's often not straightforward, but that's the difference for me between like really bluntly being a freelancer and being an entrepreneur and you know, or a business owner. You don't really have a business if it's just you on your own and everything's in your head. Um, even if it's just you on your own, but you've process mapped it, at least you're employing yourself. That for me is the journey towards being a business owner, being an entrepreneur. Yeah, such a big key. Step back, work on the business as the CEO needs to, and then step back in yep. as needed. Let's just chat a little bit around your emails and inbox, because I know you out of all my guests speak about this. And I, when I worked in an office, I did maintain a zero inbox and I love the theory. And then personally, I started using Gmail for a little while and I couldn't, you know, because you delete those emails and they're gone and I couldn't be bothered to archive them. And, but now I'm back in another email function. And so I never got back to that zero inbox. What is your point of view on managing emails now at this stage of, of the game and knowing what you know? It hasn't changed. Uh. (laughs) Well, email hasn't changed. The world's changed. That's a different thing. I still keep a zero inbox. I actually have an assistant who does a kind of first file, which just saves me a little bit of time. But, you know, even when I've been working without assistants at different points, I keep a zero inbox. I use Outlook rather than Gmail, which I just I just think is much better, particularly if, if you want to think about zero inbox. For me, why that matters is like my aim is to get out of my emails as often as possible and for as long as possible. Email is just a medium Email is just where things land and really where the real work happens is in the thinking, it's in the production of stuff, it's in the real conversations. The magic happens outside the email inbox. So for me, the idea of inbox zero is not an end in itself. It's a way to be able to get out of email as quickly as possible. (laughs) For me, that's still the same as five or six years ago when I wrote How to Be a Productivity Ninja. And in that book, there's, there's a whole chapter called Ninja Email, which literally follows it step by step. Here is how to get your inbox to zero. And it's based on the workshop that Think Productive does, which is a three-hour workshop for 15 people. And we give people within that about an hour of coaching time. When we last ran the numbers on it, in just over an hour, 96% of people on that workshop were getting their inbox to zero. So this is not something that needs to take days or even hours, but you do need to have full focus on email to be able to do that. I would say get off Gmail is my slightly cheeky response. But what's changed around it I think is interesting, which is that now we have 10 inboxes, right? So we have a LinkedIn inbox and we have WhatsApp and Telegram and like all these different Slack and all these things. I think a lot of companies have been moving their email problem to Slack or to instant messengers and and things like that and Teams. For me, there's, there's still a job to be done there, which is about going into those things, extracting the value 
in order that you can then leave those things behind and do the real work outside of it. I think some of those, it's a bit trickier. You know, if you're in Teams or Slack and people just expect you to be in there all day and live in there, that is no longer a personal survival set of tactics. It's more of a kind of team culture discussion amongst the team about how do we manage our collective attention and how do we each have autonomy to manage our individual attention. So Think Productive does a lot of work these days with with teams, you know, around setting up the right kind of, you know, we call it communications manifestos to really give people that sense of being able to manage their attention in the right way, because ultimately that's what good productivity looks like. You know, I'm a big believer in this idea that your role as a leader or as a manager is to get out of the way and let people be the best version of themselves. And so if they're just stuck feeling like every hour they've got to be checking their email so that they can send instant responses back to every question you have, then you're just interrupting people the whole time. There was a study that found that a one minute interruption takes people 15 minutes to get back onto the thing they're doing. So if you're just as a manager or a leader, just constantly interrupting your team, you're actually just killing their productivity. Well, that's what direct messages have done too. So people are now like exactly like you're saying. And I think I watched, you have the Beyond Busy podcast and I was watching one of it, I think on there, I was hearing about, well, when you're getting direct message on Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn or Slack, they're in other places. And then you're wasting time going back to every platform, wondering where it came from and trying to get people, especially if it's business onto email me, you know, here, here's my email, send it to me so you can find it immediately. I just thought that was very wise because we do, we we're wasting time doing pointless activities. And you've got a new book out about pointless yes. meetings, don't you? There it how, is. How to, how to fix meetings. meetings. Yes. And again, if you're on YouTube, you can see the book. It looks fantastic. And I am sometimes in meetings that seem to go on much too long Could you give us a nutshell for those of us? And please do go and get the book if you want to manage and lead your meetings well. Tell us the premise and and the keys to fixing our pointless meetings. Yeah, so the book, How to Fix Meetings, we had this challenge at the beginning, which led to really the the kind of core model of the book. The core model of the book is the yin and yang of meetings. (laughs) And that came about because we were trying to solve two problems that seem like they're completely at opposite ends of the spectrum. So one is when you're in a meeting that you really need to be in, it needs to be good, right? And so there's a lot of those. There's a lot of meetings that really need to be run well, really need to make decisions. We really need them. And yet they're done in a really bad way. And then there's the other end of the extreme, which is like, oh, just all these pointless meetings that could have been in the email and we need to get rid of them. You know, so on the one hand, we had this like, yin energy of like let's really focus on the idea that that meetings are really the last place where humans come together and generously share attention with each other Mm -hmm. right and that's a very yin energy it's a very soft energy it requires a lot of very deep listening a lot of reflection and a lot of intuition and intelligence and then we need to have that time we need to carve out the yang time which is like the action time you know very you know much stronger almost like destructive creative kind of energy that if we're just stuck in meetings, we never get to. So we actually need to be saying no to more meetings. We need to be being much more ruthless with our diaries. We need to have rules set up around, I'm not going to say yes to a meeting unless I know what the agenda is, all these kind of things. So we kind of developed this model, the yin and yang of meetings to basically say, look, when we're in a meeting, 
let's be fully present, fully in, no phones and no like on your phones or if, or if it's a Zoom meeting, no cameras off and doing something else. Be in it and be really focused on listening and listening to what's not being said as well as what is being said and really just being fully present and generous with your attention around that. So there's a whole bunch of stuff in the book that really helps with that side of things. And then there's other stuff in the book, which is very yang, which is like, uh, we've got this thing called the delete a day challenge, which is basically, if you think about the hours of your participation in meetings, every hour that you go to a meeting, that's one hour, right? But every, every meeting that you run, if you run an hour long meeting with four people, that's four hours. If you can delete that one meeting, you've deleted four hours of collective time, right? So if you think about how do you delete seven hours and get a day back, which really is, it's the thing that everyone sits there at the desk and says, oh, it's, it's Wednesday. Man, I wish I had another day this week. You know, I wish there was an extra day in this week to get stuff done. I'm feeling overwhelmed. Create the day, right? So delete a day, like just, even if that just means taking out, let's say three meetings with a couple of people in each meeting suddenly that's six, eight, you know, 12 hours, whatever, however long the meeting is of time. And if everyone starts doing that, it makes some big impact. So we've had some really good results. We did a couple of webinars around this, just public webinars and people saying, yeah, I deleted a day. And people are really <laughs> getting into this delete a day challenge. But for me, it's like, I want to do that so that the meetings that I do still have in my diary, I take them seriously. They're special. You know, I'm not thinking about other stuff. I'm fully present. Like, I think that's really important too. So the book takes both lines, right? And so the idea is about balance. You know, you, the thing with yin and yang is that if you have all of one energy and all of one quality and none of the other, then like just nothing happens, right? So having those things in balance and riding that balance of, of yin and yang, the sort of full-on reflective attention versus the the kind of get out of the meetings, just gung-ho action, you know? And and so that was really the the idea for, for that yin and yang of meetings model. It was kind of just to kind of solve that idea and get that idea across that we actually have to have both to make stuff work. I bet there's a lot of people giving you the high five. Thank you for <laughs> somebody needed to say this. Mm. And, and doesn't that come down to the leader of the meeting needs to lead the meeting and really hone in on yeah. how to maximize that time and have it be full value 90% of the meeting, not to have people attend with that mindset. You know, I'm going to try and listen when I hear something worth listening to. Yeah. So we talk about in the book, the idea of the four P's. So you need to have a purpose for the meeting. So we talk about in the book, purpose statement, literally at the top of the agenda, you write something like, by the end of the meeting, we will have, and then the purpose is a couple of bullet points that are verbs, right? We will have decided what we're doing about this thing. We will have explored this thing. You know, we will have, you know, worked out who's doing what with this particular thing. So just real specifics. So the purpose of the meeting, then you've got the plan of the meeting, right? So like, how's it going to run? What's the agenda? What's the timings? Then the protocols, right? So are we going to give everybody equal time to speak? Are we going to have phones off in this meeting? Like what happens if someone needs to be on call? Like just those logistical allowances that we need to be made. And then the fourth thing is people. And I think the people thing is really critical. Most of the time, what people do is they sit at their desk and they're faced with a difficult problem at work. And so the obvious answer to get momentum on that thing is, well, I don't really know how to start. So I know I'll call a meeting, <laughs> right? And then, so what you do is you invite all the people that you think might be able to help help you solve that problem and suddenly what you've got is eight people whose time you're actually disrespecting because mm. you didn't do clear thinking, right? And so mm. just off the back, like if you're organizing a meeting, just at, at the beginning, 
why are each of those people there? Like, what's their role? What are they contributing versus not? We've actually had some really interesting conversations. Just one of the, I guess, the sort of side effects of writing this book is that just even internally within my company, Think Productive, there's been a couple of meetings where people have come back to me recently and said, hey, Graham, I'm in on this meeting every week. And it's this kind of, you know, recurring meeting that we have. But like your book tell, tells me to question if I need to be at these meetings and if they're a good use of my time. And this particular meeting, I'm not sure it is. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. Why don't yeah. you stop coming? <laughs> right. So yeah. if you can just have those sort of conversations, um, yeah. I think that really matters. So those four P's, you know, and the idea is that if you're the chair, you want to be thinking deeply about those for any single meeting you organize. Yes. And what often happens is people just press the Outlook button, you know, set the thing up and they haven't really thought about what they need to do. Totally. For leading a meeting, I led a mastermind group for many years. And I know it's not just that hour of the meeting either. It's an hour at least in preparing for the meeting, you know, or maybe sure. it could be four hours if you're not clear and you've got to think about it. So how thoughtful of you to bring this point out and actually talk about it. I know you've got years behind you. And I wonder if we look back in hindsight, you know, the whole reason why I started doing these podcasts had to do with a radio program I heard, and they were talking about the hindsight's always 2020. Mm, and I thought, you yeah. know, so true. And we look back, and I've always been a fan of not having to make the mistake myself. So if someone will tell me what they've been through, I'd like to do my best to avoid that same challenge. If you look back and you say, well, hindsight's 2020, do you have a lesson you could share or something to help us avoid the suffering, the ignorance, the challenges in our work and in our lives? Yeah. For me, the lesson is if there's something in your business that you feel like you're regularly fudging the answer to the question, just hit it head on. So that would be the advice. And I'll tell you the story about why I think that's a really important piece of advice. When I started Think Productive back in 2009, I'm generally quite introverted. I don't like marketing. I don't really like putting myself out there. I don't want a TV. I remember talking to a guy early on in the business and he said to me something like, do you know what, Graham? I, what I really want you know, more than anything else is I want a show on a, on Channel 4, one of our big TV stations here in the UK. Don't you? Don't you want a show on TV? And I was just like, like less than anything else in the world. Like I just don't, definitely not. Like no way. So I guess I kind of came to realize quite early on that there are, there are a lot of people in similar industries to me or doing similar things to me that like have a big ego and they really want to be seen and they want to be on TV and doing a lot of that stuff. That's just never been my thing. And so what happened for many years in the business is I called the business Think Productive. I didn't call it the Graham Alcott Company, right? My podcast is not the Graham Alcott podcast. Like I, it just didn't seem right to me mm -hmm. to sort of put my name to stuff. But all the way through the business, there's been this kind of tension where everybody else in the business is like, do you know what, Graham? You need to be like a personal brand, right? You need to be putting yourself forward because people really buy into personalities and you know, and I, I get the theory of it and the thinking of it, but for years and years, I just fudged it, right? So every year I would I'd do a little bit of it, but I wouldn't really do any more than the minimum lowest common denominator. And about two years ago, 
So when the business is like a decade in, right? Like, and, you know, don't get me wrong, we've grown through that time. But about, about a decade in, I suddenly had this thing where I, I went to do my New Year's retreat, which is basically where I go away on my own and I write my resolutions for the next year and just really just kind of do some deep thinking. So I just wrote down personal brand, shit or get off the pot, which is like a phrase in, in the, I don't know if it's the yes, same phrase. we in, have in the general. phrase, yeah. Shit or get off the pot. You know, so basically like, either go all in with this or just make sure you don't try and it was really interesting because after doing that I realized you know what maybe I don't have such a bigger problem with this as I thought I just know how useful this is I just have to take this seriously so I started hiring a team of people who could nag me all the time (laughs) I started my first ever email mailing list so 10 years of business I never had an email list right and so I've got this new email list now called rev up for the week I'm actually loving it. It's kind of my favorite medium, really, which is like I do one productive or positive idea for the week ahead and it goes out every Sunday evening. And so that's been really interesting just as like a writing practice, because it's just it's meant that I'm Mm. thinking up new ideas and putting new stuff out there every week. Yes. And I've just hired people to nag me about it, basically. So I've got a couple of people who create little video snippets for Instagram and create quotes for the podcast and all this stuff. I was putting this podcast out for three years with literally no marketing, right? Because it's like, you know, for me, it's the work. I, I'm not interested in being the face of it or being on Instagram all day or whatever. Having decided to go all in on it and not fudge the question anymore, it's amazing how much that stuff actually just works. Right? It's like, really, in hindsight, I should have not fudged that question as much. And, you know, I think the question in, in your business right now might not be that one, but there's probably one. So if there's a thing where you're like, "Mm, I'm not sure, I'll think about that again in six months, don't let that just perpetuate and definitely don't let it perpetuate for 10 years. So I would say write down the questions that are the things that you're pretending not to know or the things that you're pretending not to need to care about or pretending not to make a decision about. Write them down, confront them head on. My biggest regret right now is, is that I didn't do that eight years ago. Yeah, well, I'm glad you're doing it now because... As you're saying that, I'm realizing the reason I ended up reaching out to you, Graham, was because of your email. Well, there you go. It turns out this stuff works. (laughs) You know, you sent out, you write them yourself. They actually have value. And uh, sometimes you share your interviews. So this is what people have to understand, too, that there's lots of business owners who are not so ego-based, truly are there to serve, you know, and serve their people. And so they don't want to boast about themselves as much. But you're really helping your customers if you can just share and expose yourself yeah. a little bit so that we all get the benefit of hearing your advice and, and learning from the lessons that you've learned. So... Just say one other thing on that, because if anyone's in the same position and does have that exact same issue, um, I actually wrote a blog post about it called, uh, so if you just go to grahamalcott.com and there's a blog post that I wrote and it's called A Marketing Manifesto for My Work. So if you just Google that, you'll find it. But I guess what I figured out when I was doing a lot of the deep thinking around that is there's a lot of people on the internet who market stuff in very sleazy tacky ways and I think what had put me off for a long time was me thinking oh I don't want to be anything like those people yeah me too Um, but what happened to me was I realized oh I can figure out my rules 
you know, and my way of doing it. And so, yeah, the email is a thing that I write and I write it during that week. I don't batch them up. I made a lot of rules for myself. Like there's a rule, which is no selfies. Um, there's a rule, which is I don't quote myself on Instagram. I just think it's the worst. So there's lots of things that I had to have in place to say, if I can do it with these rules in place, then maybe it'll be good. And I have to say, I've surprised myself with how much I've actually just enjoyed the process of it and enjoyed enjoyed the writing and the work and, and even just taking my hour-long Beyond Busy podcast and working out, actually, there's like really interesting 30-second snippets that can go on Instagram, IGTV, and like that adds value, right? So, you know, there, there are ways that even when someone isn't going to listen to a whole hour, I can still serve and add value. And that's been a really interesting process. So yeah, that blog post, a marketing manifesto for my work. If that's you and that resonates, then yeah, go check that out. Thank you for the resource and great segue to listeners. If you're hearing this and you want to look up Graham, that's two L's, two T's, but I will put the contact info in the body of the post. But so tell us again, how can people get reach you and connect with your work? Yeah, well, because I've been, you know, spending some time thinking about marketing and stuff. So it's all in one place. So you just go to grahamalcott.com forward slash links and literally everything you need in there. So you can you can buy the new book, How to Fix Meetings. The podcast Beyond Busy is in there. The Rev Up for the Week email is in there. Like it's all in one place. And my business, Think Productive. So just grahamalcott.com forward slash links and it's all there. What a nice surprise. It's all organized for convenience. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's been great chatting with you. And I know I've taken some things away. I'm actually going to watch this again later and write down your four P's for when I am leading meetings myself. And I know everyone else will as well. Thank you for your time, Graham. And uh, for the rest of the audience out there, I'll see you on my next podcast. So stay tuned. Thanks. Bye for Pleasure. now, Graham. Thanks, Sue. Please follow and review if you enjoy these podcasts and then visit me at suestyles.com.